0: Welcome to The Reserve, a news and thoughts podcast from the Centralverse. I'm your host, Caleb Nygaard, and today is episode number one. I got three segments for you on the show today, uh, some welcome and introductions, a check-in on the Fed chair race, and then a conversation with Stephen Kelly about the Arguments for and against Jay Powell being renominated by uh, President Biden to serve another term as chair of the Federal Reserve. Originally, I am from the West, the Mountain West. I grew up in southern, uh, beautiful southern Utah and eastern Idaho. Uh, my education was at Brigham Young University, Idaho for undergrad, and then I, I did a master's degree at uh, Yale in systemic risk. Um, I worked for four years in between those two schools at the Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago in the Statistics Division and fell in love with the city of Chicago, by the way, that I still miss terribly. I, am, I have two little ones, and I mention this in the personal side of the introduction because uh, one is a two-year-old girl and the other is a four-month-old boy uh, that I hope you won't hear in the background, but I make no promises. Um, one other note about the personal uh, introduction is I collect central banking books like old or cool or unique central banking books and as well as popular magazines in any language and with any central banker uh, on the cover. So if you come across any any cool stuff in that realm, uh, hit me up on Twitter at Caleb Nygard. Now, this podcast, The Reserve uh which by the way is a reference to the title is a reference to a joke uh that I think was from Alan Blinder, uh who who was a leader of the Fed in the in the 90s. And he yeah, he said that when people asked him or when he told people that he worked at the Federal Reserve, he he wondered if they often thought that working at the Federal Reserve was some national forest out west somewhere. <laughs> so this is not a podcast about a forest out in the west uh, it is about central banking and mostly about the Fed. Uh, in the last five years, I've hosted four seasons of the Bankster podcast under my pen name, Alexander Hamilton. And I started that podcast mostly because I was listening to dozens of podcasts on my walk to and from work at the Fed across the beautiful ch- chocolate smelling Chicago River. And I wished that someone would do a central banking podcast. By the way, shout out to David Beckworth, who published the first episode of his excellent podcast, Macro Musings, two weeks before my first episode. So he beat me to the punch there on, I think, claiming the first uh, real central banking focused podcast, although his is a little bit more broad than mine. Um each of the seasons of my podcast were fully scripted. Each one was fully scripted. Episodes of the first two seasons were simple, bi-weekly essays. The third season was a much more thoroughly researched and much higher production quality seven-part series on the history of The Lender of Last Resort. And the fourth season, uh, which is just about to wrap up, actually, uh, so it's in the top of the current uh, Bankster podcast feed was a complete and unabridged reading of the Central Banker's Bible, which is obviously the book Lombard Street by Walter Badgett. But for a while now, I've wanted to do something in a podcast that was unscripted, more flexible, more casual, more current, uh, more experimental. And I wanted to get other people involved as well. So that's what the reserve is going to be. If you have thoughts now or in future, in response to future episodes, uh, for what you'd like the podcast to be or not be, uh, or if you have thoughts about the central verse itself, something about uh, the world of central banking, and if you want to talk about it on the show, shoot me a message. Again, my Twitter handle is at Caleb Nygaard. Now, on to the first segment Uh, Predict It. Uh, We're going to check in with the Scottish teens, as Nate Silver likes to joke. Uh, from 5:38, uh, about the prediction website that you can bet on uh, on on political decisions, and the current standings for whom will the Senate next confirm as chair of the Federal Reserve? Uh, most likely, right now sitting at 75% is Jay Powell, the current chair of the Federal Reserve. Uh, next up, at just 19 uh percent is uh Lale Brainerd who's currently a governor at the federal reserve and then uh just the names of the others that are on the board Raphael bostic at the atlanta fed roger ferguson who and the most famous fed wise for being the man in charge on 9 11 at the fed he was uh, a vice chair at the time and I believe vice chair uh, and then at, at 2% and then Sarah Bloom Raskin at one and William Spriggs at also at one. So those are current standings uh, at each podcast. I plan on uh, dropping those numbers. You can see what the uh, whoever it is that are making bets on predicted dot uh, on predicted dot org are thinking. OK, on to the next segment. Okay, on to segment number three. I uh, said my regular segment. I hope uh, where I'll break down a relevant topic from the central verse with my colleague and, and friend from the Yale program on financial stability, uh, Stephen Kelly. Stephen, uh, welcome, welcome to the show, the uh, inaugural show.
1: Yeah, thanks, Caleb. I would say, uh, you know, a long-time listener, first-time caller, but uh, it's, it's the first one, so we'll <laughs> you see.
0: are—that is exactly right. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, many-time caller, repeat caller here. Uh, this is going to be fun. We'll we'll see we'll see where it goes, and hopefully, to to people that are listening, if you have strong thoughts or if you have opinions on this stuff, or if you're either making these decisions or or, or putting them out there, uh, get in touch with us, and uh, we're happy to. To have you on for a few minutes today, uh, what uh, Stephen and I are going to talk about here for the next few minutes in this segment is just a brief rundown of the pro and anti arguments uh, for keeping uh, Jay Powell as the as the chair for Biden to uh, reappoint or to not reappoint. And there's a lot uh, going on in that right now. Obviously, uh, in the news almost every day now, uh, at least a couple of times a week. And I, we expect that to pick up. Uh, decision coming down anytime from a couple weeks from now where the, the rumors around the summertime. And then uh, I think the latest we've heard is maybe sometime in October is when the decision will come down. So hopefully we'll have uh, Stephen back on over the next couple of weeks to months uh, to talk about different aspects of this. But where we wanted to start with today, uh, we're just going by – running down a couple of the policies and, uh that the Fed chair uh has either a huge sway in or is a is a part of their job and then just talk about some of the uh arguments uh, for keeping Powell in in the with regards to uh to this policy or that policy and then some arguments against uh so let's start with the the most important uh news story of the last 2 years uh both in the regular world and in the central verse that is uh COVID-19 uh what are what do you think are are some of the arguments for keeping Powell uh based on how his on some of his responses to COVID-19 yeah
1: I think COVID-19 is is kind of the top thing in the win category for Powell um I know we'll talk a little bit about their new framework uh and how much he has had you know how much he deserves credit for that um and we can quibble here and quibble there with respect to the COVID-19 response. You know, maybe this facility wasn't generous enough, or this facility was too generous, you know, the emergency lending facilities, or maybe he was too easy on on bank dividends and, and things like that. But I would say broadly across the political spectrum, it, it, it's pretty widely accepted that he did a, a good job uh, with the COVID-19 response. But I think the fair, the fair pushback to that, which, which we maybe haven't seen much of, but is kind of underlying some of this Powell Brainerd debate, is how much does doing a good job in a crisis earn you uh, another term? I mean, I mean, it's almost kind of like uh, like uh, you know Commissioner Gordon or something in Batman. He, he, we have Paul here. He's, he's kind of a wartime mm-hmm. hero. Um, but does that make him the right person for what is likely to be, you know, a peacetime four years for the Fed chair? And that's kind of where these other issues of climate and, and financial regulation and things like that come into play, um, where some folks think that that Brainerd or others might be better. Um, so so it kind of comes to me, it kind of comes back to, you know, d- does doing a good job at at the crisis, does that does that by default, does he, has he earned it? And, and, you know, does, does Biden or the, the broader public owe him some sort of uh, renomination for his, for, you know, kind of shepherding us through the crisis?
0: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a huge part. And that's a slight reframe, I think from, uh, from a lot of the takes uh, and an important one uh, looking forward. And, and if you are a person that's making this decision, uh, how much do you weigh? Uh, what they've done in the immediate past when you're, do you make sure that you're calibrating it for what you expect to come in the future? Uh, And I think, you know, I kind of have two, two thoughts on that that are, uh, are related, but, you know, in my view in the hierarchy of uh, central banking responsibilities, there are lots of fun arguments about that we can have about and and history too, about uh, what central banks do now, what they've done in the past, how those roles have changed and everything. But, kind of the the one that's at least one of the oldest and and arguably still especially in times of crisis most important is that of lender of last resort Mm -hmm. Uh, right and so you know if that is in a fundamental sense one of the most important you know then that that seemed like you said there there are arguments about uh specifics on on how he did Uh, in in some of the specific programs and things like that. But in general, I think across the board, most of the arguments against Powell in response to have been, uh, you know, we don't want him there, despite the good work he did in most Mm. of the lender of last resort uh, activities. And then I think, uh, you know, I think if we were doing this episode even three or four months ago, looking into the future at what the next couple of years with the Fed will be, I think we would have been more confident that the crisis was over uh, than we are right now as well. Um, Not just the Delta variant, but the, you know, the, the, all of the uh, inflation um, ripple effects Mm -hmm. of, uh, of the, of the pandemic and uh, all of that stuff. There's definitely is going to be going to be around um, for at least a little while but do those tools make sense? So I think that's a, that's a great point. That's an important one.
1: To, it, yeah. To the other piece that comes out of this too is, you know, he's gotten a lot of praise for the way he's behaved on the Hill, um, you know, working with yeah. lawmakers in response to this crisis. And, and certainly that's good. And I think he's, I think he rightfully gets credit for being better at that than say Yellen or Bernanke. Um, that being said, uh, you know, I keep coming back to Brainerd. There's obviously more than one more than sure. one other possible replacement, but Brainerd seems to be the top contender. Um, I, you know, I think it likely that she would be just as good at. You know, she kind of she cut her teeth in Treasury, the same as Paul. She's been around the block. Um, we we haven't had a chance to really see her on the Hill and 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 in press conferences, but um, you know, I, I don't expect that it would be a big step backwards. Uh, despite how good Paul has been and, and, and how fun he's been to watch in those settings, um, you know, and, and maybe he set the new standard and maybe that would would let him feel more comfortable being more informal in the way that he is. Um, but so, I mean, that's a risk, too, that, that you lose some of that. But also, you know, I, I'm not convinced that he's the only person who can handle that type of, uh, you know, those types of relationships, uh, especially with Brainerd as, as the possible uh, replacement.
0: Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Is your sense, uh, is your sense that the? Because I think a lot of the, I think there's a, a lot of interesting stuff on on uh, Fed Congress relations, uh, relations there. I think there is something to the argument that Powell is in a unique position, having been a safe person for. Mm-hmm like the nasty politics he seems like mm-hmm. he's been a safe person for the nasty side of politics uh to uh be okay talking with for example i mean i i you know having read obama's books recently you know a lot of the opposition from republicans it wasn't based on the substance and it wasn't based on even the personalities it, you know it's based on a really kind of cold-hearted you know the country is divided just enough that if we can uh, you know, if we can oppose enough to make you look inefficient, uh, mm-hmm. then we can gain back power. And so do you think that Republicans would have enough of an incentive or enough? I, that's not even the right word. I think the right word is uh, like political cover to talk to Brainerd in a public way as
1: they do right now
0: talking to Powell.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. I mean, Paul. Paul has this... Uh, you know almost facade like veneer where it, it totally. he's he's ostensibly a republican you know it, it's it, he's a trump appointee uh at least to the chairmanship um w- which kind of puts him in this weird place i mean Bernanke kind of ended up in this place too right yes, i mean he, he exactly. came from bush and then he really yeah. was i mean he was really more more uh, along with obama when it came to policy but by the time the crisis came around and now we're seeing that with Powell and not only when it comes to crisis policy, but with respect to the labor market. And I know, I know we're going to get there, I think in a sec, yeah. but, yeah. um, and, and maybe this can be our transition. So we don't linger all yeah. day on yeah, this. Yeah. Cause we, we definitely could, but I mean, arguably the most progressive fed chair, I mean, you know, obviously he has the, the benefit of it being modern history, but, um, incredibly progressive when it comes to labor market equality and, and, focus on minorities um you know so for him to have that i mean he's even been better than yelling on that front and, yeah. and in fairness you know he built on on you sure. know, something an idea and, a, and an attitude that she started but nevertheless he, i mean he's he's been excellent on that front and it's a very progressive thing and so for him to still have that kind of i'm a republican um you know i i almost it's like everyone's in Congress has decided not to ask him if he's still a Republican. I'm, I'm worried <laughs> to me or somebody is going to, yeah. is going to broach it because um, I know, uh, I know Bernanke kind of disowned it uh, later when uh, you know he was a little upset over austerity. He kind of disowned his Republicanism a little bit. Um, but at, for now it, it's, it's kind of working for Paul, you know, like he's, he's just got friends on both sides cause they both see the Paul that they want to see. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a great point.
0: Yeah. And, and, and yeah when we will and we will come come back to this but there's you know I, I asked the question and then i think that uh something that we can keep in mind as well about it is just also how much does it matter you know how mm. how how much does the the political will there but let's let's uh let, let's come back to the to the stuff in congress cuz i think we can there's plenty to talk about there let's talk a little bit more about the the labor uh market and maybe you can uh start by uh just giving a 15 20 second a recap of what Powell's role was in the new framework.
1: Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, he, he has really, um, you know, I mean, he's the new face of of their new framework, which is really designed to uh, be less fearful of inflation Um, really using the last few decades as evidence that, um, you know, there's less to be afraid of with respect to inflation uh, that we can get labor market gains basically for free. I mean that's the way it, we kind of have historically thought about labor market and inflation as sort of trade-offs. And yeah. it's it's varied how we've thought about it through history, you know, whether it was an acceleration thing, whether it was a level thing, but we've kind of come to realize and and the central bank, the Fed is largely responsible or at least decently responsible for, you know, the calming of inflation um, and sort of delinking of it from labor market outcomes to some degree. Uh, so, so the, the Fed has kind of decided, hey, we can get some labor market gains basically for free at no cost of inflation. Uh, and, and we started to see this in 2018 and 2019, where all of a sudden, uh, you know, the the employment to population ratio is picking up, and there's less people on on disability roles and and minority em- employment was improving drastically, and. and Inflation was unperturbed. Uh, So the Fed has been great about that and and it it has incorporated that into its new official framework. Um, And Powell's been good about pushing back. I mean, it's going to get, it's going to get tougher now that we have these kind of weird things happening with inflation coming out of COVID. But um, Powell has been great about explaining that. And he, he, I mean, he almost kind of can't win on this front because, I think he's been great on the labor market and really focusing on minority employment. Um, And this has gotten pushback from the right that, Hey, the fed, you know, it's mission creep. They're not responsible for social goals. They're just supposed to do monetary policy. Um, And he's kind of said, well, no, this is monetary policy. But then from the left, they say, well, why don't you do something about the wealth gap? And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa." you know, that's, (laughs) that's not the feds responsibility. You know, we're not here to fix Uh, you know, every social wrong. So he kind of is is a little bit uh, between a rock and a hard place on this, but he's been great on the labor market. And, you know, he, the way to, the way to think about it, I think is the Fed is really taking, it's not so much trying to cure every social ill as it's, it's changing the data that it looks at. And it's kind of realized, okay, we can look at minority unemployment as a more effective barometer of, of the tightness of the labor market, as opposed to let's look at the overall unemployment rate, which can be muddy for various reasons, and we don't actually know where it should be. Let's look at at these other pockets of the population and see how we're doing there. And, you know, it basically saw in 2019, okay, we can make some serious progress in these areas. So to me, it's really about the, the Fed shifting it's, it's sort of dashboard to more accurate readings than it had before, as opposed to all of a sudden it's creeping into, into social goals. But like I said, he's, he's kind of in a tough spot. I think he's been great on communication, but he, he almost can't win.
0: Yeah, I, no, I, I completely agree both with the, the way that you framed it and the conclusion. So a kind of follow up question. What daylight do you think we can see between there again, let's keep it with, uh, between, uh, Powell and Brainerd on, on these, but is there enough? My, my opinion coming into this is that there hasn't been enough to say that there would be substantially different. Uh, if you, you know, if you, if you think of that, uh, you know, uh, kind of the big board of, of things that they're looking at, mm-hmm. I don't know if there'd be a big difference between, I don't think, my, my instinct is that there's not going to be a big difference, especially in a, a year to two ran, year range between Powell and, and a Brainerd in mm-hmm. the way that they're looking at that. Mm-hmm. I, I think there might be a difference. actually, I, I think there would be a difference in the, in the framing uh, in that you might get more explicit uh, public uh, communication uh, interacting more, will, you know, willing to take questions like your example earlier on on the uh, you know, wealth inequality um, and maybe even, uh, you know, more conversation about specific minority unemployment rates mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and things like that from, uh, from a Brainerd or, or someone like her. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on, on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of, there's kind of this view that's bubbled up, which I'll admit I'm a little partial to that. Okay. That peacetime monetary policy is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. like, it, kind of this idea that anybody can keep rates low, anybody can do QE and, and you know try to taper it slowly. Um, and I'm a little partial to that. So again, it kind of comes back to me to this, uh, you know, it, it's almost a, a Godfather esque thing. Are you a wartime conciliary? <laughs> like, it, yeah. you know, do if if we're likely to not have a crisis in the next four years. Maybe we, maybe we want brainer, you know, maybe, maybe those crisis skills don't matter so much. Maybe monetary policy is easy. You know, the fed's going to lift off in two years or whatever, year and a half, it'll taper asset purchases. And, and that'll be that. It'll be uh, like paint drying or whatever, whatever deadly famously said about it last time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a little partial to that, that, there, that there's really not much daylight on monetary policy between any of the candidates. Um, and So it can kind of come down to these other issues. The one thing I will say uh, potentially with Brainerd and monetary policy in the labor market is if you're getting as easy monetary policy with Brainerd as you are with Paul, one thing to maybe consider is how much do we think financial regulation while positive for avoiding a financial crisis can weigh on the macroeconomic situation? Um, You know, do we think, with Brainerd leading the board that she is going to raise capital requirements in a way that will slow the recovery, say, for example. Uh, I mean, I don't see that. Right. But um, and, and we can talk about the financial regulation in a minute, too. But, um, you know, I, I don't see that being the case. But there is that interaction with monetary policy that that kind of underlies some of these other policies as well
0: yeah no you're you're absolutely right and there is exciting stuff in 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 monetary policy happening uh right now even in the the low times with the um you know new facilities for uh you know into the medium term that are Mm going to stay and and, and things like that but uh but we do hope that the the crisis in its in its peak and and these lender of last resort really heavy activities are mm-hmm. in, to the extent that they're already over are going to continue to just to to uh, to dwindle down and, and close right. up um which then gives more time for for these other uh these other aspects both time in the sense of what fed staff and fed leadership mm-hmm. wants to to dedicate to it uh as well as obviously the uh, public attention that gets that goes to some of these other things sure uh, so so yeah so let's uh uh so so let's talk uh about financial regulation this is the this might be the the biggest one uh, mm-hmm. if i can set climate as a close second but uh, the biggest complaint lodged against Powell is mm-hmm. in financial regulation. Uh, walk us through just uh, briefly what what that uh, argument is.
1: Well, I mean, kind of the idea is here that Powell has basically overseen or or tacitly approved of a a softening of post-financial crisis regulation on primarily large banks. Um, some of the more, some of the folks, you know, further to the left would say he's basically, you know, incinerated Dodd-Frank and and people to the right would say he's made banks stronger. Um, I don't think either of those things is quite right. Uh, you know, a simplifying, or they call it a tailoring of, of some of the capital requirements. So, uh, you know, we kind of saw bank capital fall ahead of the, ahead of the COVID-19 crisis for a couple of years. As some of this stuff got simplified, the stress test got a little bit easier. Uh, the Volcker rule, which uh, sort of judges how how banks can how risky bank trading can be and what trades they can undertake, has been uh, has been shrunk a little bit. Um, its scope has been shrunk a bit. Uh, banks have to undergo living wills where they kind of prescribe for themselves how they can be wound down and that process has been softened. So anyways, he, and he's kind, of, he's kind of gotten this reputation as uh, one who defers in, mm-hmm. in these matters. So again, uh, and to me, this is an argument against Paul. I mean, whether yep. or not, whether or not you, you subscribe to the things that have happened on financial regulation, which again, I, I would characterize as modest, but definitely in the direction of easing, um, you know, to, to me, that's kind of a demerit that he is considered so deferential. Um, some people view this as, uh, okay, well, if you want something better then just put Brainerd or somebody in the vice chair for supervision spot, Powell will defer to them. Um, and you, you've got a solution to, to, you've got the perfect Fed at that point. You've got Powell at, at the helm for crises and monetary policy, and you've got, you know, somebody more progressive in financial regulation, but, um, You know, uh, it's also not that simple. So that's kind of another big thing that I think this I think is kind of being lost in the debate is a lot of the proponents for replacing Powell, they cite financial regulation. And it's kind of important to remember that these things aren't done by executive order. You know, it's not like it's not like a president where they come in on the first day and they cancel 40 executive orders that the last (laughs) president did. I mean, there's there's just a just voluminous. Fed staff papers that go into changing capital requirements and years of work and comment periods. So it, it's not like it's not like Brainerd can come in overnight and say, yeah, everything that happened with quarrels, um, everything that Powell deferred to, we're going to we're going we're gonna to undo that. We're going to go back to the way capital requirements were six years ago or whatever. Um, you know, it, it you because the Fed just can't do that. It can't say, oh, the things that we said before and all these staff papers we put out about how. This was going to make capital requirements better. Yeah, we we actually don't. We didn't mean that, um, and it was political. And and you know you can't have the same staff people write two papers yep. that say opposite things. Um, it's just not that simple. So, yes, Brainerd is maybe tougher on financial regulation. It may mean stuff for for lingering items or for say the countercyclical capital buffer, which is kind of a discretionary capital buffer that the Fed can sort of turn on and turn off. Um, you know, it may mean stuff. It, it may it may have it may carry a material difference on on that front but again I, I think this idea that oh you get a more progressive Fed chair on financial regulation and you can undo the the quote unquote damage from the past couple of years I'm not sure that I buy that.
0: yeah I completely agree uh, I completely agree with that point. both the Fed is an old institution um, it, but you know, it's often uh, called the Supreme Court of of Finance. And sometimes when that phrase is used, it's used as in the kind of final judge sense. Mm. But I think the more appropriate interpretation of the phrase is actually just as a, a, a similar, just comparing it to uh, the U.S. Supreme Court. in that there is these both of these institutions and the people that are naturally drawn to these institutions and the people that most of the people that are, are, uh, are nominated to fill senior leadership in, in both of these institutions have carry a heavy weight and, uh, and uh, a preserve a conservative in the lowercase C sense of preserving the institution. Um, mm-hmm. And there are, you know, there are, all sorts of arguments and uh, governance structures that have been built up to try and encourage that, and um, it's a different podcast to debate whether they work and and what mm. parts they do work. Uh, but there is definitely a uh, a a spirit in in the work there of at least wanting to appear as being deliberate and consistent. And if you're going to over overrule a proceeding um yeah, yeah, statute or a preceding argument to do so uh with uh with quite uh quite great care mm-hmm. um and it's and it's as we've i think as we've as we've seen in general it's you know it's it's easy to the comparison I make is it's 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 easy to lower people's taxes it's harder it's much harder right. to raise them no matter the institution no matter right. uh, whatever you know uh, body is in charge of the politics and so i think we're i think those are those are great points for the financial regulation place
1: I guess I was just going to say one more quick thing, even even zooming out a little bit. It's it's kind of interesting to I I guess it's the statement of progress in central banking more broadly that, uh, you know, we're talking about tweaks to financial regulation as becoming this kind of primary issue, despite the fact that we just had a crisis uh, that that wasn't really, you know, wasn't too located in the financial system or at least in the banking system. Um, you know, so the fact it's almost like it kind of goes back to that point that that monetary policy has almost become easy uh, that that this is what we're discussing. I, I, I mean, we're recording this on August 18th. Um, Greg Ipp just had an article today where he was saying, you know, financial regulation is inherently more political than monetary policy. And, and I'm kind of thinking, well, you know, monetary policy is the reason for the ostensible reason for central bank independence. I mean, that's supposed to be the political thing. Is right. monetary policy. So the fact that we've just we're just skipping over that in this debate, you know, is from a bird's eye view is at least progress to some extent in, in the history of central banking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the amount of
0: agreement on the uh, or the degree of of uh, of agreeance on on monetary policy, I, I think you're absolutely right. Is 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 quite staggering. And that, just one quick point on on that as well you don't hear and this time around nearly there's no in fact i i've read a lot of articles you may have read one that did mention this but i have not seen a single reference to a taylor rule like yeah uh requirement right, right. like that How is far that,
1: come in four years <laughs>
0: literally not a single passing line and, and things are different. The times are different. And, and, and maybe uh, But I, even if there was a Republican, and maybe even if Trump was in a second round right now, I don't think that would be a part of the conversation.
1: Oh, yeah. No, so, I mean, I, I don't think he expressed any interest in the Taylor rule after Paul was in place. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally okay. So that.
0: let's, so let's talk about, uh, let's, let's get uh, at least, at least one more, if not two more in uh, climate uh, this is a, this is the other big uh, uh, mm. anti-Powell uh, uh, area. So, uh, talk to me about that one.
1: Yeah, this is this is heating up a little bit too. And I, I saw that there's going to be some climate groups protesting at Jackson Hole when 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 Powell is slated to to speak, uh, which is interesting. So there, there's a couple facets to this, uh, and, and I actually want to talk about a couple. Di- I mean, a couple different areas here. One of them is in the crisis response and this is the one i have the least sympathy for so the 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 kind of powell critique here is well you know the Fed set up these emergency lending facilities these 133 facilities and oil and gas firms benefited you know they 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 saw their liabilities get cheaper um, their interest costs go down as a result of these fed facilities and you know oil and gas had their own problems before the crisis it wasn't necessarily covid And so the Fed bailed out oil and gas and these kind of these kind of browner companies. Um, And this I this this is a hard one for me to wrap my head around. I mean, the idea here is that to me, what this boils down to is, oh, the Fed should have used a crisis opportunistically to exclude a whole sector of the economy uh, as a means to advance environmental concerns, uh, which are very serious don't get me wrong i mean that's i mean that's one arguably the biggest crisis you know facing humanity post-covid um but the idea that a crisis is the time to do that and to use a crisis advantageously like that and for the fed of all institutions to be the one doing it uh i'm not sure I, i i buy that argument at all um and, and there's an important distinction to be made here too, because a lot of it centered, a lot of this this argument centers around, well, hey, the Fed should, should just not buy bonds of companies, or should not make loans to companies that you know are are oil and gas involved, or things like that. And there's an important distinction to be made here that is specific to the Federal Reserve, in that it does not have the authorities that say the Bank of England. Uh, the, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan have, to buy corporate bonds as part of its garden variety quantitative easing. Right. So the, these other central banks, as part of just general stimulus post-recession measures, will buy large portfolios of corporate bonds. The Fed cannot do that. It has to invoke 133, It has to be in unusual and exigent circumstances for it to be legally allowed to buy these bonds. And, and why that matters is the Fed is not accumulating a portfolio, you know, it's not making these sort of investment decisions on a long-term basis. It bought corporate bonds for, it bought a slim amount for essentially nine months uh, yep. and, and shut the facilities down. And, and now it's selling the assets back to the market. Uh, so it's, it's tough for me to see this as somehow a bailout uh, of anybody. Really, it was really to support market functioning. And uh, you know, it largely did its job with the slimmest amount of purchases possible, um, and so I, I don't think that's a fair criticism to cast on the Fed because it's done. I mean, there there is no bailout. The Fed the Fed's getting rid of these assets. Um, you know, there just simply was no bailout, uh, despite what what some of these protesters may have you believe. Uh, I don't know if you want to respond to that. I can go on to the to the to the other climate issues.
0: No, no, I th- no, I think that's I think I, I think that's the that's a fair, uh, a fair argument. And, and and I'll just add from a political standpoint, I, I it was really, really important in those peak when these facilities, when the, when this specific facilities that we're talking about here, when these uh, bond buying programs, these thirteen three emergency facilities were coming through, uh, you know, that authority changed a lot since after or it changed a lot after the 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 recession in 08 mm-hmm. in and in into 10 and required a lot more input from congress basically
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: and and treasury and and some of that was voluntary and still voluntary and uh, there's a lot to it but um i'll say that there was if the fed had come out especially in advance as saying Part of this, which I think is what a lot of maybe the protesters would have liked, is the Fed saying, you know, we are going to actively, as part of this crisis intervention, we're going to make an active, you know, green list and red list as far as mm-hmm. who we will accept on these bond prying programs. Uh, it, it would, the amount of political uh, pushback that would have gotten. In my view, from where we're at, at least now, definitely would not have been uh, worth the the very small additional gain that might have been given on the politics side uh, right. of it. Right. So.
1: Right. And 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 it's certainly a noble goal. I mean, I like the maybe Congress, you know. But again, it comes back to crisis versus non-crisis. The Fed is not still accumulating a portfolio, um, so it was. It, again, it comes to me. It comes back to in a crisis, you should help everybody. I mean, they—they, right. they, you know, if if I'm the Fed, I'm making a loan to a business that hammers nails in my head just so they <laughs> keep people employed. You know, I mean, yep. that that's that's central banking 101. That's bad, You know, lend freely. Yeah. Um, so again, to, to use it opportunistically and then go to a press conference and say, oh, we're really worried about employment. Uh, you know, we're going to do all this other stuff. It, it's it's too internally inconsistent. Right. Um,
0: so what's the so what's the long term what's the long term situation uh, in climate in the Fed?
1: Yeah. So the, the longer term and maybe to zoom out for a sec that the the there's a lot of push to tie the concern over the climate to a, sort of a systemic risk, a, a crisis risk that extreme weather events, that uh, climate change more broadly, global warming. Uh, can lead to financial stress, maybe even a systemic episode, Um, you know, maybe even a Lehman-like moment. I'm less convinced of that. I'm less convinced that this kind of, I'm not not unconvinced of the uh, material, material economic damage that climate change will and and already is causing. But um, I'm a little skeptical of this idea that it could happen overnight and create a, create a a quote unquote Lehman moment um, or anything like that. But the, 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 the broader picture is, okay, let's, we can kind of tie climate to future likely future financial stresses. Therefore the fed as a financial supervisor, as the, the, you know, the primary financial supervisor uh, should be taking this into account when evaluating bank safety, when uh, conducting monetary policy uh, when doing crisis lending uh, and, and there's some controversy over Powell in this sense in that uh, I think there's some, some frustration that he was a little slow to get to this um, yeah. and that, and that he sort of flip-flopped around the election, which again, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not quite convinced of. I mean, p- part of it was, the Fed could not be in the network for greening the financial system, sort of this global network of financial regulators interested in greening the financial system and kind of, uh, you know, not financing fossil fuels, things like that. Um, he he could not, the Fed could not join with the U S not in the Paris accord. So part of the, part of why it seemed like it happened overnight was that, um, is that you know, Biden put us back in the Paris Accord? Now we can join the Network for Green Financial System. All is well and good. Um, but I'm not convinced of this view that the Fed was somehow you know, behind the curve uh, on climate. So there was a, a, the Fed put out its supervision report in November, maybe two days after the election. I don't even know if it had been called yet. Um, and there was a big section on how climate. Uh, can sort of interact with bank specific risk and why it should be part of a supervisor's concern. I mean, it's, it's easy to see on a micro level how it could matter. You know, if you're, if you're an Oklahoma bank and you lend primarily to oil and gas firms, something like that, it's it's easy to see how it matters on a micro level. Um, and then there was a financial stability report later in November. I'm talking 2020 uh, again with the climate section talking about how these things can interact with in sort of the macro environment And I don't think that they had these, you know, they were just waiting to see who got elected before they were, and then they changed their financial stability reports and their supervision reports. Um, So I I don't necessarily buy that. The fed was behind the curve on this. We had regional banks doing research on this. Uh, The fed was a quote unquote observer uh, at the, at the network for bringing the financial system and everything happened so fast after we joined the NGFS. You know, now the Fed has two divisions, two separate divisions set up for climate related risks. Yeah. Um, it came out with these reports so fast. I just don't buy, if anything, it seems like Powell's Fed was working very hard behind the scenes when, you know, we weren't in the NGFS to be ready to talk about these issues and how they matter and, and kind of where the Fed has landed on it now, kind of where it's settling is, OK, this matters for bank specific risk. Uh, But we're not going to stress test it on a macro level, um, which, again, is a view I'm empathetic to. You know, I can see how it matters for a specific bank. And, yes, there's an argument to be made that a specific bank could, you know, spark a a broader run. um, But I'm I'm a little hesitant to embrace this view that that climate risk, though it is, you know, sort of a um, apocalyptic scenario in the long run, if things continue unabated i i I don't see it starting with the financial system um, you know yeah. a lot of folks will characterize it as, well, hey, if the world's on fire, of course the banks are failing, and my you know my kind of attitude is, well if the world's on fire, who cares if the banks are failing um, <laughs> so like it, it's not it's the sequencing of events would have would have to be so backwards for us to to fight you know to fight the climate issue through like preventing financial crises. That being said, as someone who is very concerned about the climate issue, I think there is a role for Congress here to mandate that banks, you know, Congress can step in and say, banks, you can't do this, you can't, you know, you can't finance Arctic drilling, that's all great. But the Fed under its current, you know, under its current purview, I don't think it's really in a place to start saying, hey, if you're a bank and you finance this fossil fuel company, uh, now we're at risk of a financial crisis, uh, so I think it's it, it. I think it's trying to walk that tightrope, kind of like I like I see it as well, and <laughs> and it, it's it's a dangerous game.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I'll add uh, maybe maybe two two thoughts to that. That I uh, building on on top of that. I think one more argument in favor of saying that the Fed was not. Too far behind is that the argument against Powell and and the Powell Fed is often saying that he was doing it out of a pure political i environment trying to read the the political winds. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, the political winds were were very against. I think they forget how against Powell the political winds were uh, for for much of this time. And to think that Powell was kowtowing to trump uh uh you know trump made it very clear what he (laughs) he wanted uh out of out of the powell fed um and i i I don't think there's a lot of evidence to say that the fed made any kind of substantive adjustments Mm -hmm. based on uh at least within uh, you know within this this realm. The second thing uh, within,
1: I'm going to interrupt oh, you for, for just a sec. Is I'm totally empathetic to this. People, I mean, it, it is like pundits' favorite thing to project politics onto Fed decisions. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's certainly easy to map politics onto Fed decisions, but yeah. there's really very limited evidence that that those political considerations are anything but like the 50th tiebreaker when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to doing this right. kind of stuff. I mean their their decisions are inherently political so it's hard to not say oh you know there was the election or all this senator said this but there's really really limited evidence uh, despite how much speculation goes on
0: absolutely no that yeah that's that's absolutely right and and the closest that it comes is personnel and Mm -hmm. if i can make one more comparison to the supreme court you know that's where obviously the politics influences the supreme court the most is through the people that they put there and and even there you know the uh uh it it doesn't track one-to-one from from what i understand most even on the supreme court side it tracks one-to-one sometimes or it, it will track one-to-one sometimes or close to one-to-one on some big issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but across the board, there's a lot that isn't, uh, that isn't just one-to-one and you'll see, and we've seen this over and over again, you get a new Supreme court and one of the first, uh, a new justice on the Supreme court. And, and within the first year, there will be a couple of big surprises. Mm-hmm. And so, although politics definitely have an influence and the biggest place they have an influence is on, is on personnel. Even that isn't, as strong as sometimes uh it's made out to be um the, the the second uh thing that i wanted to point here on climate is is the is the fed could the fed ask for for more tools um and, and are there more macroprudential uh mm-hmm. like tools uh you know geographic uh specific or or could they add different um you know different different buffers and things like that and i think that's uh, again, goes back to a, a more, like you said, it goes back to a more Congress, uh, a more Congress thing. Most of the climate issues are going to come from Congress and the Fed will have a role and the Fed's relationship about what they want from Congress uh, mm-hmm. does have value. But uh, I think that's where, where that's uh, there as well.
1: So, So I want to ask you then, do you think, in a world where we end up with Brainerd as chair or even vice chair for supervision, um, which one of the two seems extremely likely. Um, yep. do you think that her, her, I mean, she's been extremely vocal on financial regulation and on climate. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of an overlapping issue and, you know, she's dissented from some of the, yep. uh, less activist, uh, less activist stances the fed has taken. Uh, she's called for more action in her statements do you think if she's elevated that she continues to be that vocal do you think she gets more vocal less vocal I mean the 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 one distinction from the Supreme Court is that the the Fed almost always operates on consensus especially amongst the board yeah um, do you think that she takes that elevated role and and really uses her new perch or do you think that will almost incentivize her to be a little more quiet and a little more behind the scenes. Cause the, you said the word ask Congress and that, that would really stun me to see the fed yeah. ask, but with Brainerd, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you think on that.
0: Yeah. I, and given the current situation, I would bet that she would not because there'd be little chance of it happening in the Congress that we have right sure. now and that we expect to have in the next couple of years and i would be shocked to see a fed chair uh ask for something as big and kind of you know big and political mm-hmm. as that uh if the problem them getting it is so small mm-hmm. uh, yeah that yeah, so makes I, sense. I i, 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 like I think sure. yeah so i i i just don't yeah i i i'm with you in that I, I don't i don't see that as as being a real uh real high Likelihood, and then, and it's not as possible. Not only because uh, climate is such a trigger thing right now, um, and and getting anything through Congress is might be tough, but it's also that financial uh, stability in general doesn't seem to be in the top three, top five, top ten, probably top fifteen or twenty, maybe even of issues that uh, that Congress is going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, is going to tackle uh, in in the, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. So that with maybe, and I'm going to use this as the as, as the pivot with, with maybe um, the exception of, uh, of, of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's uh, roll into our, our final segment or our final policy topic, which is uh, central bank digital currencies. And we can just keep it to that. We don't have to talk about you know, completely all of crypto, which is, Many, much, much too big, but within uh, central bank digital currencies, where, where, where do we think we stand there with between Powell and uh, and, and Brainard?
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting to see this crop up as as sort of a dividing line in the last just couple of weeks. And as far as I can tell, it's from more or less one sentence from each of them. Um, <laughs> Powell said he was you know, something to the effect of "I'm genuinely undecided," and. And Brainerd made a remark of, I don't see how you know we let this proceed elsewhere in the world without the U.S. Yeah. also being involved. Um, those are those statements are so near each other, uh, <laughs> you know, and not necessarily mutually exclusive, that uh, it's weird to see this continually mentioned ever since then as sort of a dividing line between the two. I, I mean, I, I think Brainerd is more progressive, although. That's kind of up for debate too. There's kind of this weird circularity where, you know, Yellen became treasury secretary over Brainerd because Yellen was more progressive, but, uh-huh. and Powell has been more progressive as a fed chair than Yellen. Yeah. But now we might put Brainerd over Powell because she's more progressive. So it's right. kind of this weird circularity to figure out mm-hmm. who's, who's the most progressive and, and uh, as of, you know, any given day, but, but and is it, I, I, Go
0: ahead, What is the is what is can you uh, articulate the the progressive uh, view on central bank digital currency? Is it a is that is an encouragement for the Fed to get involved here? Uh, is that the progressive take?
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's to varying degrees. Some of okay. it, uh, you know, the, the idea that. You or I could bank with the Federal Reserve.
0: Okay. Um, okay. You, know,
1: you essentially have a nonprofit banking entity uh, available to everyone. You know, there's no cost. There's no minimum balance. Um, th- so this idea that it's sort of a, sort of democratizing the banking system yeah. by by having a central bank digital currency, um, I think is the, is kind of the progressive view of, of where this could go. Um, there's also the idea of you know let's have the fed sort of involved in the crypto world uh you know to the extent we can tie that tie a central bank digital currency and avoid something like stable coins or whatever you know <laughs> help help with the payment system yeah um you know sort of supplant some of this, these riskier things we don't like um and, and the fed has been working on real-time payments yeah i mean for way too long anyways knows? um but whether they could get a CBDC done faster than than that, you know, is an open debate too. But uh, the, the the progressive case is is kind of on this. Let's open let's open the Federal Reserve balance sheet to the to to the broader populace, um, and you know, I, even even in a uh, sympathetic case, there's there's limits that people want involved. Um, otherwise, you have this huge infinitely safe entity uh you know <laughs> yep. who, uh, who, yep. who's going to keep their money in jp morgan at zero percent when you can put it at the fed yep. for zero percent despite right. how safe jp morgan is um right. so there's 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 limits on, on what can be done here but um it is generally the progressive case that that moving forward with this is a good idea I see. Um, so this is
0: the the technological version of the postal banking uh, right, right. It's kind sort of, of disintermediation
1: kind of, is kind of the kind yeah. of keyword. Like uh, so, you know, people more, maybe more towards the right are worried about disintermediation because that's yeah. like, well, if who's going to make the loans type of thing. Right. Yeah. Um So yeah, that's the concern and, and and so I think Brainerd would be more inclined to to consider things like this. That being said, I don't see Powell being Anything but deferential on this. Yeah. Again, I, I don't see this being something he, he'll have strong views he'll on. I think it would be very deferential. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I jotted down.
0: I jotted down yesterday note watching his Powell spoke to some uh, some school uh, educators and students, and his response to this question was uh, as I, as I wrote it, I don't know if this is a direct quote, but I, I, I wrote down his response being, "We provide physical cash to people, but we don't provide digital cash. Should we?" I don't know. It's a tough question we're looking at.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. So So I I think he'll take what, what his staff says at face. Yeah. yeah, Or or what Brainerd says. I mean, if if Brainerd wants to, to head this up and Paul comes from payments, I believe uh, at the fed. So, you know, he's got, he's, he's no dummy when it comes to this stuff, but again, I think he would be deferential um, and kind of respect the work that, that landed on his desk on this front.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Stephen, excellent, uh, excellent uh, inaugural uh, segment here. And I think we covered we covered a lot and there was a lot of good information here. And it is just scratching the surface on this race. So I'm hoping that uh, that Biden gives us a couple more weeks to debate these uh, (laughs) ins and outs and uh, and and try and see uh, slice the small sliver of daylight between uh, some of these arguments so uh, so thanks for coming on
1: yeah no happy to be here and uh you know we we, we aimed for about 10 minutes and i think i think we're around 10 minutes uh, <laughs> i'm not i'm not watching the clock but it felt like 10 minutes
0: i'm sure the listeners aren't watching the clock either uh, yeah, right. thanks for listening dad by the way <laughs> cool all right well thank you so much we'll uh we'll talk to you again soon
1: yeah thanks caleb
0: and that's a wrap If you have thoughts or new work, no matter how big or small, on the Centralverse and want to share them on the show, get in touch with me on Twitter at Caleb Nygaard or at www.centralverse.org. Until next time, thanks for listening.